Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Thursday, August 17th. As the whole country is focused on the death and devastation in Maui, where wildfires not only killed a lot of people but destroyed an entire city, what remains hidden and has gotten very little coverage so far is a plot, I think we can call it a plot, among some who seek to turn this tragedy into profit. Yesterday, USA Today published a piece titled, Maui is Not for Sale. Survivors say developers want to buy land where their homes once stood. According to residents interviewed for the piece, they are already receiving inquiries from developers seeking to purchase, quote, the land islanders and their families have lived on for years, if not generations, unquote. Some of these inquiries are even coming through social media sites like Facebook, it's been reported. Those who remain fear that without timely government aid and intervention, neighbors will sell their ancestral lands to people who will change them forever. This can be seen as an example of what some people call disaster capitalism. Have you ever heard that term, disaster capitalism? It's actually got an Oxford Dictionary definition as the practice of taking financial advantage of natural or man-made disasters and unstable social, political, or economic situations. So Hawaiian Governor Josh Green is reportedly exploring the possibility of a moratorium, as USA Today reports it, a moratorium on sales of damaged or destroyed properties. Let's hear from him directly. This clip comes from Hawaii Governor Josh Green's address to the people of the state on Tuesday. I've asked my attorney general to watch for predatory practices, and we will be embedding attorneys who are going to work pro bono for our people, Maui attorneys for Maui's people, to be at our joint, uh, our joint response centers available to all of us. So if people have someone reach out to them to try to get their land, we will be able to get expert legal advice so that doesn't happen. If someone behaves in a predatory fashion towards one of the people that are suffering right now who have lost their loved ones or lost their home, lost their rental, and they try to buy land out from under them, you can be sure I will not be allowing anyone to build or rezone or do anything of that sort if they've taken advantage of anyone here. Rebuilding will be for our local people. Hawaii Governor Josh Green on Tuesday. Does that sound familiar to any of you? Can you think of another time when people who are American citizens have gone through this? How about those of you from Puerto Rico, right? Another American island. Maybe you have this nagging feeling right now that we've seen this before and not that long ago. Well, Alana Casanova-Burgess, who many of you know is the host of the WNYC and Fortuto Studios podcast, La Vega, brought to our attention the similarities between what those in Maui are experiencing right now or might soon and what Puerto Ricans faced in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria in 2017. So we're going to take a closer look at the current situation unfolding in Maui and see what lessons can be extracted from the parallel events of the very recent past and still ongoing in Puerto Rico. So joining us now are Kaniela Ng, a seventh-generation indigenous Hawaiian from Maui, and the national director of the climate justice organization Green New Deal Network, 
as well as our own Alana Casanova-Burgess. Hi, Alana and Caniella. Welcome to WNYC. I guess it's like 5 o'clock in the morning there, so thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Hi, Brian. Uh, Good morning. So, so we and most of our listeners are physically quite far away from you. Can you bring us to Maui right now, Caniella? What is... What does every day look like at this moment in, you know, the wake of the wildfires and especially with respect to the looming threat of disaster capitalism? Sure. There are two Mauis right now. There's the Maui that the people of Lahaina are surely experiencing uh, a lot of grief and um, the process of healing just beginning. Um, Local people generally are rising up in I wouldn't say unprecedented ways. We always have each other's backs. This, this is an island. You kind of have to if you're going to survive, especially with um, all the changes that we've seen um, in at least well in my lifetime. It, it's just been so rapid. Um, and then there's the other Maui, which is just tourists. Um, some folks just carrying on their days. Uh, frolicking in the same waters that our loved ones have drowned in just a couple days ago, uh, eating their shave ice and ice cream like nothing has happened. Um, so, so that's where I'm always at. A lot of sadness, but also a lot of um, uh, just the same old, same old, and but also people coming together in, in really um, inspiring ways. And on the business as usual parts of Maui, even though I'm sure this is on just about everybody's minds. Um, I did hear a report in which Maui officials, Hawaii officials were saying, hey, folks, don't not come to Maui if you were planning to vacation here. Tourism is a lot of our economy, and the destruction is limited to one part of the island. We don't want you saying to yourselves, oh, we can't go there now because of what happened with the wildfires, that's only going to compound the pain and suffering. Is that is that your view, too? Do you want to reinforce that message to people elsewhere in the country who might have a Hawaii vacation scheduled or that they're thinking about? No, that's not my view. And that wasn't the view of, of most officials, definitely not the governor or the mayor, up until yesterday. There was a backlash. At first, they were saying what I'm saying. Don't come to Maui. Now is not a good time. Um, and then there was like a backlash by some folks in the tourism industry, um, yeah. and they changed their 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 tune. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, there are still people sleeping in tents, sleeping in lots who just lost their homes. Um, they should be afforded the utmost dignity. Uh, we have limited hotel capacity. There's a federal program that's subsidizing hotels to let. Um, residents impacted residents sleep there uh even for the medium to long term uh, and we're still trying to like get those get that rolling um and if you take up those hotel rooms that's not going to happen you're keeping these people on the streets um so you know everyone has their own gods and religions i'm, I'm not one to cast moral judgment but uh you know that, that's up to you do, do you want to be uh out here uh, frolicking in, in our waters when when uh, 
these people lost everything and and, and are, are sleeping in, in tents in, or yeah, in gyms. Well, I'm glad we got that point of view on from you because we certainly heard the other one yesterday in various national media that it would hurt the recovery effort for people to cancel their plans. You're telling us why it might hurt the recovery effort and especially the uh, um, what the quality of life for the survivors at least in the short term, uh, to carry on with that kind of business as usual, even elsewhere on the island. So, Alana, do you want to jump in here as we bring it back to disaster capitalism? Uh, Long-time listeners will remember you you were on our air giving updates right after Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. Talk about what happened there that's relevant to this. Yeah. um, Well, obviously, there are a lot of parallels Anytime we see a huge disaster of this magnitude, I also heard on our air this morning, NPR had folks from the Paradise Fires in California a couple of years ago um, talking about solidarity with Maui at this time. You know, what I just heard about Hawaiians coming together and also, you know, this idea of um, how on an island you have to help each other because it's because of the conditions and because of how hard it is to get aid from the states. You know, we saw that in Puerto Rico, we still see it. Aid was so slow to come. You saw so much mutual aid. You know, we we say, solo el pueblo salva al pueblo, only the people help each other. Um, I'm also thinking about the Jones Act, right? These are two archipelagos, um, archipelagos that, you know, rely in this case on aid coming by boats and, the Jones Act requires these boats to come from from the U.S. mainland. So there's that. And I'm also thinking about, you know, the housing crisis, which which we've just been talking about a little bit. You know, Puerto Rico was in a debt crisis, an austerity crisis before Hurricane Maria. There were these tax incentives um, passed in 2012 to try to get people from outside to move, um, to bring their business, bring their dollars, buy property. And, um, and this was in the face of a huge exodus, which I understand Hawaii has also been going through, right? The cost of living being so high that people have to move, I've read, to Las Vegas in many cases. Um, and so there were these incentives to try to get to get people to move to Puerto Rico. And that really kicked in in a huge way after Hurricane Maria. Um, the numbers of people moving in, of buying property that people couldn't afford to fix up after the damage from the hurricane, We've seen a housing crisis in terms of short, in terms of uh, short-term rentals with Airbnbs as well, which speaks to the tourism parallel between these two places. So, um, you know, it's just Kenyela, it's, it's nice to hear your voice, and I'm I'm so so sorry to hear about how you are doing and how Maui is doing. Um, and yeah, there's just so so many points of comparison here. Luis in Newark, you're on WNYC. Hello, Luis. Hello, Brian. Thank you for doing this. I am so appreciative. Uh, uh, the people of Hawaii do not need to go through the plight that the people of Puerto Rico are going through after the Hurricane Maria, the devastation that was left over. The people were so vulnerable. Right now, you can look. And by the way, there are some activists trying to do something about this. There are people who have this one lady alone has 61 Airbnb apartments or rentals in Puerto Rico, in Rincón, Sabana Grande, eh, eh, San Juan, Rio Grande, just 61, one person, one person. And how did she do it? She went down and bought 
uh, the, uh, places that were devastated. She fixed them up. Listen, I have nothing against capitalism. However, this is a little bit too much, and we don't, we can't allow this to happen to Hawaii as well. And we need to have a movement that allows this to be stopped. Please look up. There are several uh, uh, people trying to do some things about it. Just look it up. Thank you. Luis, thank you very much. And Alana, before we ask Caniello what he's seeing specifically in this respect, um, for you who covered Puerto Rico after Maria, does that ring true to you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even thinking about the the effects of the pandemic, right? So many people who can work remotely now um, moved to Puerto Rico, moved, as I understand it, to Hawaii. And that has also been driving these housing prices up. I understand that Hawaii has um, the the highest uh, housing costs in the country, you know, anecdotally, and also, you know, (laughs) in terms of the data, we've seen just so many people displaced from not only the metro area of San Juan, but like, as the caller saying, Rincón, um, Aguadilla, all along the West Coast. It's It's been really shocking to see. And also, you know, one of the differences, I think, between these two places is that in Puerto Rico, you know, native Puerto Ricans, um, Puerto Ricans are, are the majority. I don't think that's true in Maui. Um, I think actually the the population really explodes with with tourism and that population has been declining you know again these parallels go back before these disasters but we can mm-hmm. see how disaster capitalism is going to um is going to really threaten hawaii and, and is threatening puerto rico as well you know thinking and Alana, about one more one more follow-up on luisa's call he talked about all those airbnbs mm-hmm. being owned by one person for example is it worse to go if you are a tourist to go and stay in an Airbnb than to stay in a hotel because it exacerbates a housing shortage. You know, New York City is having that conversation about New York City, even without a natural disaster. Is, is that also a thing on Puerto Rico, as far as you know? Yeah, people talk about that a lot. Um, I, have, uh, I have friends who really encourage visitors to stay in hotels. Um, The biggest thing is a conversation around policy that's needed. You know, I know in in New York, right, we're always talking about the policy around um, limiting Airbnb rentals. And that is certainly something that I think a lot of people would like to see in Puerto Rico. There's one statistic that there's an area of San Juan where 25% of the units are owned by short-term or or, or short-term rentals. I mean, that's just, that's incredible. So, um, yeah, yeah, hotels are, you know, but but then you have to think about are the hotels owned by Puerto Ricans, sorry, owned by Puerto Ricans or owned by people who have come from outside um to start hotels and to um and to profit from tourism. So, it's not an easy question to to answer. I want to replay part of a call we got when we were talking about Maui. Uh we heard from a caller native to Hawaii, Mariette, now in Manhattan. This is a climate disaster, but it also feels like it's a colonial disaster as a direct result of the fossil fuel and military industrial complex that's on Hawaii. My ancestors had a system of ahupua'a, which it was a land division, which led from the mauna, the mountain, all the way to the sea. And that's how it used to be divided. And the water from the top of the mountain would stream down into the waters of the sea. And that is how we fed our people for hundreds of years. So, Kaniella, 
I know you're deeply involved in activism surrounding climate change, and that was our primary topic in the Tuesday segment that Mariette there called in on how climate change fed even the possibility of wildfires in lush Hawaii, which to a lot of people unfamiliar with Hawaii was just so surprising. Uh, But upon hearing this call from that listener, I'm sure there's a lot running through your mind. Do you agree with her when she says that the fires in Maui aren't just a climate disaster, but also a colonial disaster? Well, Lahaina Maui wasn't always a dry, fire-prone region. Historically, it was lush. It was a wetland. It was the home of some of the world's earliest aquaculture systems, called it Lokoia. But at the dawn of the 20th century, sugar barons illicitly diverted water to irrigate the lands that they had taken. Uh, So now, descendants of those barons amass vast profits from controlling our irrigation, our land use, our political influence. Uh, the largest corporation and biggest political donor and landowner is called Alexander and Baldwin. Those are two of the original quote unquote big five families. They're still around today. Uh, so, you know, if they didn't divert that water, if they didn't introduce invasive dry grass, um, Lahaina would have would have never burnt. Um, it's that simple. So as we rebuild, it's, it's really critical to uphold uh, the vision of public land and, and water rights, uh, re- returning it to the people uh, and kind of restoring the, the harmony of nature that uh, my ancestors uh, knew very well. I'll throw this to both of you. Listener writes, say there is a retired couple in Maui who have had their home destroyed in the fire. They know the trouble of construction on the island and the shortage of labor there. Are you suggesting they be forced to stay and rebuild for the next decade? Or should they be able to sell the building lot and get on with their lives elsewhere? Caniella, what would you say to that listener? Yeah, sell it to a local. Don't sell it to private equity. Don't sell it to BlackRock or Vanguard. Uh, But like, you know, can we have policy? Because a lot of this is like about individual acts despite Mm -hmm. certain uh, incentives so the question is can we set policy that will allow it to happen and do we have the power as a community to move those policies forward um because we know that you know the luxury developers are uh have that power so it's like and how do we build that power while we're grieving and healing uh so you know to the point of government is on the side of 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 foreign investment um we need to we need to make sure that like the money um, we, we need to completely like change the underlying pillars of our economy. Like as long as we're uh, relying on land speculation and tourism, uh, this is going to keep happening. Um, and these are two industries that are inherently paradoxical. They rely on the preservation of the, our natural resources and beauty of our island um, as well as destruction of it. So th- it's not, sustainable um and you know we're, we're we're seeing that play out in in really stark ways right now and on puerto rico to the same question alana yeah um i mean i i completely agree and i think in terms of long-term planning here you know yes yes this it has been several years since hurricane maria but you know, in Hawaii, it's only been a week. And I think what's so shocking about these headlines is how predatory it is to get these calls just days after your home is lost. Um, you know, people are 
desperate. And I don't think that that's a situation under which you make the best decisions about your future. In Puerto Rico as well, you know, people have sold their homes for a lot of money. Um, but they then those people who own those homes turn it around and rent it for even more. So we know that the people who, who are losing out here are those who are making the decision without a policy in place to protect them. Let's get one more call in here. Paulina in Jersey City, you're on WNYC. Hi, Paulina. Hi there. Um, I just wanted to reach out and say that there was a local developer here in New Jersey that did reach out to people in Maui. Um, and through the power of social media, I was able to um, reach out to this developer. And I actually had one of the executives personally reach out to me to share that he's going to cease all contact. He's going to cease, you know, trying to get them, get the properties and whatnot. How about that, Caniella? Resistance to disaster capitalism, one person at a time. Yeah, I dig it. It's also not enough. Like, we can't rely on the altruism of developers or anyone to act against their own self-interest, uh, especially in the long run. We're going to have to uh, build a policy. But it is it is great to see uh, people stepping up in times of need. And we will leave it there. My guests have been Kaniela Ng, a seventh-generation indigenous Hawaiian from Maui and the national director of the Climate Justice Organization, the Green New Deal Network, and Alana Casanova-Burgess, co-creator, host, and producer of the podcast La Brega from WNYC Studios and Futuro Studios. Thank you both very much for joining us today. Thanks, Brian. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.